Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Good morning, Christ Church. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, we've been talking, today we're going to talk about God alone, and i got to say, the, the band did an amazing job preparing these songs. They were perfect for today. Because what we're talking about when we talk about God alone is that God and God alone is worthy of our worship. Before we get in to our word, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd speak through me. That they wouldn't be my words, Lord, that they'd be yours. You'd take our minds and think through them. That you would take our mouth, my mouth and, and speak through it. That you would take our wills and bend them to your own. And you'd take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a bagpipist who uh, was, was asked to come and play uh, at a funeral for a man who had no family and no friends. He was to play at the graveside of this man, and he, and he was so moved at the fact that this man had no family, no friends, that he said, I'm going to do it, and I'll do it for free. But the day of the funeral came, and he forgot. And then he got lost on the way to the graveside, and so he was 45 minutes late. And when he showed up, nobody was there, the priest was gone, and the grave itself was already capped. The only people around were some diggers along the side of the grave who were having lunch. And so this man uh, walks with his bagpipes and his uniform before this, this man's grave. And he's just, he's just he, there's emotion all over him. He, he's, he feels a tremendous amount of sadness for this individual who died with no family, no friends. And so what, he doesn't know what to do. So he just starts playing his bagpipes. And he's playing them and he's, he's playing them with a, a tremendous amount of passion. And tears are welling up in his eyes. And the diggers see what's going on. So they come around him and they come around the graveside. And they become emotional. And then he starts playing Amazing Grace. And tears are streaming down his face. And, 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 and the, the diggers are beginning to weep. And when he finishes, he, everybody hugs everybody. And he hugs every single one of those guys. And then he, after he hugs the last one, he waves and turns to go to his car. And as he's walking to his car, he hears one of the diggers look at the other one and say, What just happened? And the other guy looks and says, I have no idea. But I've been putting in septic tanks for 25 years, and I've never seen anything like this. (laughs) I love that story. I think it's so funny. But anyway, (laughs) uh, there's a point to this joke, though. And the point is this, that what we believe about reality shapes our response to reality. It doesn't shape reality but it shapes our response to reality. And that's what happened for this bagpipist. Now, I've been having a number of conversations with Christians lately, especially ones my own age, about the importance of truth. Because when we're taught, the reason that it is so important for our beliefs to come into alignment with the truth is because our understanding of reality will shape our response to reality. And I've been having conversations about the importance of truth with with young Christians And we've been talking about truth and emotions. 
about facts and our feelings about facts. And the question that I've been having and the question that's been raised in these conversations is which is more important, the truth or our emotions, facts or our feelings about facts. And, and to help people through this, I want to give you the, the, the following illustration, the following thought experiment. Imagine that you are a Jew in the 1930s in Germany. You're a Jew in the 1930s in Germany and you are on trial for a crime that if you are convicted, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison and all of your belongings are going to be taken from you. Now, your lawyer is a Nazi. The accuser is a Nazi. The judge is a Nazi. And you, the jury booth is filled, with Nazi and the, or fill, is filled with Nazis. And the only feelings that they have towards you are that of hatred and animosity. But the facts of the case, the truth of the situation, is that you're not guilty. And the evidence strongly supports the truth. Now, here's my question. If that's your situation, how do you want these Nazis to treat you? In terms of their feelings about you or in terms of the truth? And everyone that I've, ta- I've had this conversation with has said, yes, if I was in that situation, I would want them to respond, to treat the case in terms of the truth. And that's why truth is so important. But when we are in here worshiping God, what we are doing is we're bringing our feelings into alignment with what we know to be true. You see, when we're talking about worshiping God, it is so extremely important to understand the importance of truth. Because there's going to come a point where your feelings, because they're erratic, the Bible says that the, that, uh, that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it or who can know it? Your emotions are erratic and they're going to take you in all sorts of directions. And that is why it is so important, not just to know the true things and to believe the things that are true, but to bring our feelings and emotions into alignment, into agreement with the truth. And that's what we're doing when we're worshiping God on Sundays. We're saying all these true things about him and we're affirming them. And what we're doing is we're bringing our emotions into alignment with what we know to be true. And our passage today is all about worship. That's what it's about. And you can see that from the context. The very next verse after Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36 is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Pastor Craig quoted it for us this morning. It's therefore, and whenever you see therefore in scripture, you got to ask the question, what's it there for? And this therefore is saying, okay, in light of what I've just said, in light of Romans 11, 33 through 36, Paul is saying, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What he's saying is, okay, in light of this, of what I've just said, offer your bodies in obedience to God as an act of worship. So what Romans 11, 33 through 36 is about, what our passage is all about, is provoking the Roman church and us today to worship. That's what it's all about. It's about provoking the Roman church and us today to worship. And in light of that, let's read our passage together. Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, the first thing that I want to point out about this passage is this. First thing I want to point out 
is how Paul is provoking the Roman church to worship. You'll notice he's not flattering the Romans. It's not what he's doing. He's also not flattering God. In fact, he's not even really providing an argument. All he's really doing is making true statements about God. That's all he's doing. He's just making true statements about God. And I think that tells us something about what worship really is. About what worship really is. Um, The word worship in Hebrew and in Greek uh, connotes the same idea. I like the word in Greek, it's proskineo. So you have prostrate sort of uh, at, at the beginning of that word. And that tells us a little bit about what it is. In Hebrew and in Greek, the idea is abasing oneself or bowing oneself low because we understand that the thing that we are worshiping is greater than we are, is more important than we are. The old English word was worth-ship, not worship, but worth-ship. And the idea is that we understand the worthiness of the thing in question and we recognize in humility that it is more worthy of glory and honor and praise than we are. In light of scripture, this is, this is my a simple definition of what worship is. Worship is understanding who God is and responding accordingly. Worship is understanding who God is and responding accordingly. And that's what Paul is doing. He's helping the Roman church understand who God is with this passage. And then he says, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. In view of who God is, respond in this way. And so what that looks like to me, if, I'm, if, I, if I was going to give Paul's whole argument here, it'd be this. It is understanding that God is God and that I am not. That's the understanding. God is God and I am not. And understanding that because of his love, mercy, and goodness, I will love and trust him. It's understanding that God is God and we are not. And because of his love, goodness and mercy, we will love and trust them. And that usually looks like obedience. That's what that looks like. So with that understanding of worship in mind, let's look at the specific things that Paul says in our passage. So he says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. What's Paul's point here? Okay, when human beings are trying to make a decision where they're trying to understand something, there's often three things that we're going to look for. We may look for more things, but there's at least three. The first thing that we'll probably do if we're, if we're trying to make a decision on something, if we're trying to understand something, is we'll bring in people who have experience working with that thing. And that experience will tell us they have experience understanding it, they've worked with it, they've been doing it a long time. And so that helps us understand something. The other, another thing that we'll look for is people with special knowledge. Usually people like academics who, who get into the minutia and the details of something. Or they look at something from 50,000 feet and they can, they can tell us how things all work together. But there's another thing that we'll look for. We'll look for experience, we'll look for knowledge, but we'll also look for different perspectives. Sometimes we'll, we'll bring people in who, just, who have a totally different background just because they'll see things differently because of, of how they've been conditioned, because of how they've grown up. And so we look for experience, we'll look for knowledge, and we'll look for different perspectives. When Paul is saying, oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God, when he's saying, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who could possibly be his counselor, this is what he's referring to. God has existed from eternity past. That's a ton of experience. That's a ton of experience. He, maybe the oldest among us is like 100 years old. That's like a weekend in the life of God. God. 
I mean, he has a massive amount of experience dealing with every component of life. But not only does he have this massive amount of experience, God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything about everything all the time. He has perfect knowledge where we always have imperfect knowledge. But not only does he have eternity past to draw from, does he have this infinite reservoir of knowledge, but he also is omnipresent. Lights went out. That's cool. He's omnipresent even in this moment. He knew. He's here with us. And he is experiencing everything from every possible in every possible way at every moment. And so his perspective is absolutely imp- is absolutely perfect. He can see things from every possible perspective. And it is in light of God's omniscience, it is in light of God's omnipresence, and it is light is it in light of his of his infinite reservoir of experience that Paul says, what wisdom could we ever offer him? Who could know the mind of the Lord? Who could possibly be his counselor when he has all of this at his disposal? But not only is his wisdom unfathomable uh, unfathomable, and we have nothing to offer him in terms of wisdom, we have nothing to offer him in terms of stuff, in terms of things. Paul says, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then he, and the, the implication is no one, and he's going to answer why. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him and through him and to him are all things. From him are all things. Meaning, he created everything. Do you know that human beings actually don't create anything? No human being has ever created anything. All we've ever done is innovated on the things that God has created. It's like, you know, there's that old joke about the scientist. Scientist goes up to God and says, hey, God, I can make humans better than you. And God's like, okay, give it a shot. And he goes, all right, I'm going to grab some dirt. God goes, whoa, that's my dirt. You got to get your own dirt. Right? We have nothing. We can't create anything. All we do is innovate. And even our innovation is dependent on God. Okay, I've got an iPhone in my hand. These things are awesome. Smartphones are so cool. Computer in the palm of your hands. It's amazing. But even when Adam and Eve were walking the earth and we knew about sticks and fire and, you know, maybe and rocks and stuff. And that's like all we had to work with. All of the potential for an iPhone was in this planet. All of the raw materials that went into creating this iPhone were already here when we got here because God endowed this planet with that potential. Meaning even the things we innovate God placed here so that we could come up with it. Because we're not really coming up with it. We're just thinking God's thoughts after him. That's all we're really doing. From him are all things, but also through him are all things. I'm sure you woke up this morning and you thought, I can't wait to go to church to talk about quantum physics. That's what we're going to do. So congratulations. We're talking about quantum physics. Let me talk. There are four fundamental forces of nature. You've got the strong force. You've got the weak force. You've got electromagnetism and gravity. Those are the four fundamental forces of nature. We're just going to talk about two of them right now. The strong force and electromagnetism. The strong force is what holds a nucleus in an atom together. It holds the nucleus in an atom together. That's what it does. It is an incredibly powerful force with a very short range and mathematical precision. It is absolutely amazing what... uh, what the strong force is and how it works. And it works together with electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is how 
atoms can exchange electrons. And it is because of electromagnetism and the strong force that complex chemistry is possible. Every piece of matter that you have ever seen is dependent upon these two forces that are at work at all times. So if you have a kick-butt house that you love, and you're like, I love this house, that house is held together, that house consists of atoms, and those atoms are held together by the strong force and electromagnetism. That's what allows for that, for that house to exist. And if those things were to stop working in the area of your house, your house would just dissipate, just be like, gone. And that's not just true of your house, that's true of your car, that's true of your TV. In fact, that's true of your very body. You see, your body is composed of atoms. And if the strong force in electromagnetism were to cease, if those forces were to cease to act upon your body, you would be gone. There might even be some explosions, I'm not entirely sure. But you would be gone. Now, our scientists have identified what these are. We know a little bit about them, but we don't know what they are or where they came from. We don't know what they are or where they came from. There's three options that people are considering. The first one is, don't ask, there's no explanation. I find that to be anti-human, so I just reject that. Human, what make, one of the things that makes us human is that we love the no stuff. So I like the no stuff. I'm throwing that one out. The second one is that one day we'll figure it out. Well, I actually think we already have it figured out. You see, it says through God are all things. Or the way that Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says it, when, when Paul is writing about Jesus, he says, he, he was before all things, and in him all things hold together. It is the continued power of God that is keeping everything you know and everything you love in existence. He is holding you and everything you know and everything you love together every moment, every second of every day. It is through him that we exist. But not just from him and not just through him, but to him or for him are all things. Um, I, I work in an outreach ministry, and so I get the opportunity to, to, to be with a lot of different people from a lot of different perspectives. And one day, I was sitting down with a group of, of atheists and non-religious people. There were a couple of Christians with me, but it was mostly atheists and non-religious people. And this one young man, he was talking to me. He said, you know, the God that you describe, he kind of sounds narcissistic to me. You know, he creates all these creatures, and then he demands that we worship him as if, like, to pat him on the back or, or make him feel better about how insecure he is. Now, he was being facetious. I don't think he actually believed that. But he did say it. And so I want to deal with that just real, really quickly. God doesn't, doesn't demand that we worship us. Or I'm sorry. God doesn't demand that we worship him because he's a narcissist, because he needs us to worship him. He demands that we worship him because we need it. We need it. It is through worship that we live in the real world, in the world that actually exists. Let me explain that. So these people that I was with, they, they didn't believe in God, but they believed in three things. First thing they believed in, they believed in morality. They believed in right and wrong. And they didn't just believe that those are social constructs that humans created. They believed that, that right and wrong was a legitimate expression of how reality really is. Okay, so they believed in good and evil. Second thing they believed in was that Human beings were endowed with intrinsic meaning and value. That life was worth living, that the lives that other people live, that the lives that other people are living was worth living. And so they believed that when they talked with another human being, they were talking with something that had intrinsic value as they had. The third thing that they believed was that, um, that everything had a destiny 
It's not the word I would use, but that's the word that they'd use. Destiny. So they believed in morality, they believed in meaning, and they believed in destiny. You've heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason, I'm sure at some point. They would, they, except for one young man, but they all affirmed that idea that everything happens for a reason. And the idea is not that like an efficient cause, like, okay, the reason I didn't go to work is because I was fired. They're not talking about that kind of reason. They're talking about a moral reason, a good reason, that if they could look back on everything that's taking place, and if they could look at their lives from, a, from the bird's eye perspective and see where it's all going, they would find that there was a good reason why all these things were happening. One young man said it, that, there's, that there is purpose in the pain. That's how he said it. And so all of these things are happening for a reason. So they believed in, in morality, they believed in meaning, and they believed in destiny. But now, I want to examine the world that they believed in. You see, the reason I think that they're so, I was talking with them and I discovered in our conversation they're frustrated, they're often disappointed, and they are angry with the reality that they have, but they, because they have these intrinsic intuitions that were built into them. But now listen to the reality that they think they live in. They, they all were materialists. In other words, they believed that all that exists was matter, energy, and those fundamental forces that I talked about. That's everything. Matter, energy, and those fundamental forces. That means that all you are and all that I am is atoms. We're just a certain conglomeration of atoms. We're a walking chemistry set. That's you and that's me. Now, if that's true, then morality is an illusion. It's not real. It's a lie we tell ourselves to help us cohere in our, in our world. Because atoms don't operate on the basis of moral laws. They operate on the basis of statistical and physical laws. So when you and I are talking about ethics, we're just talking about this made-up thing that humans created at one time. Equally, if all we are is atoms, then there is no meaning to the world because atoms don't think in terms of meaning because atoms don't think at all. They don't have brains. And so all the atoms that make you up, eventually those are going to become part of the earth. And, and, and hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of years from now, they might be on different types, different parts of the planet. They might be in different parts of the universe. They all made you up at one time, but now they're going to become something else. And so no, your life is essentially meaningless and valueless because all you are is a conglomeration of atoms. It's an illusion. It's a lie we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel, feel better about the universe we live in. And that leads us into the next one, which is that there is no purpose. Because in the world that they believe in, there is no designer. It's not going anywhere. Our scientists tell us, and I want to harp on this for a second because I really want us to, to understand this. Our scientists tell us that one day our sun is going to run out of energy. It's going to burn down. And not only is the sun, but our, our, our physicists tell us that all stars are going to run out of energy and the universe is going to flatten out and it's going to turn into a black, freezing, or incredibly hot because of entropy, graveyard. So I'm not exaggerating if I say that there is a direction for the universe and that direction is death. Everything we know and everything we love is going to die if what they believe is true because nothing can survive in the universe that is coming. And all the wars and families and everything we ever believed in, it's going to be gone. Unless to God are all things. You see, if to God are all things and for God are all things, then morality isn't a lie. It was woven by God into the fabric of reality. And it is the standard by which all choices that we free creatures ever make will be judged. And it is eternal because it is found in the character of God. 
It is fundamental reality, as fundamental as those forces that I talked to you about, because it is found in his character. And if to God are all things, then meaning and value are also fundamental, because the God who created value endowed you with value when he created you. And if to God are all things, then you were created with a purpose. And there is purpose in pain. And there is purpose in the things that we experience. Because God truly has created a design that all of us are working inside of. And the end of the universe, the final note isn't death. The final note is new creation. Because the last book of our Bible says this. It says, all the old things are passing away. But behold, I make all things new. He's making all things new, and that's what he began when he walked out of that grave alive. And that's the real world. And I've got these friends, and I, my heart goes out to them because they have all these things that God put in their soul, all these intuitions that they believe in with all their might, but they deny the existence of the very God that validates those intuitions. It's sad, but it's not true. And that's the good news. You see, when we worship, when we worship God and we recognize who he is and we respond accordingly, what we're doing is we're living in the universe as it really is. My poor friends are living in a fantasy land and a land that when they, when they, and when they live that way, it frustrates them, it depresses them, it angers them, and they are discontented with life because they don't understand it. But we have the truth. And because we have the opportunity to worship God, we have the opportunity to be content in this world because we understand our place in it. Isn't that beautiful? That's what's, that is what's offered to each and every one of us. The opportunity to live in the world as it truly is. The real world in which God is the most important, most powerful, most excellent, most beautiful, wisest, only eternal, only omniscient, only perfect, only non-contingent, only uncaused, entirely holy, self-existing being in existence. That's the real world. And so here's my challenge for you this week. My challenge is this. Worship the Lord in every part of your life. I'm speaking especially to the men right now because I do this. Do not compartmentalize. Don't be like, okay, in church, he's king of kings and lord of lords, but not at work and not at home with my kids and not in these other, no, no. Every, when we worship God with every part of our lives, in every component of our lives, what we're doing is we're living in the world as it really is. And we have to do that thoroughly in every part of our lives. And that's why coming in here and, and worshiping in church and praising God in church is so important because we have to bring our emotions in alignment with the things we know that are true. Knowing them is not enough. We have to teach ourselves to feel them. And that takes discipline from the Holy Spirit. And so my encouragement to you and my challenge to you, worship him at home, worship him at work, worship him on vacation, Worship him when you're watching a football game. Worship him when, when you're with your kids and your parents, your, your, your spouse, and when you're all alone. Because he really is the king of kings and lord of lords. So let him be that in every part of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you didn't leave us in this world to figure it out for ourselves. But I thank you so much that this world does cohere and it does make sense. And you are the key that unlocks it all. 
We don't worship you because you need it. We worship you because we need it. And because you are worthy of all of our praise and the only thing in existence that is. And so, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that as we are thinking about who you are right now, that we would respond accordingly in our hearts and we would take this home and say, you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords and I'm going to worship you and live in the world as it really is every part of my life, each and every day. Lord, you know I'm not perfect at it. You know that I have got to grow in this. Lord, help us grow together. In Jesus' name, amen.